Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. I want you to open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. Then I want you to be prepared to turn to Luke chapter 23. And I want to read to you from the Old and the New Testament. I want to remind you, as I said to you several weeks ago, the Bible's not one book, it's 66 books, written by 40 authors over a period of 3,000 years. Written in three languages from three continents. Those authors, many of them, never saw another one of those authors. But under the inspiration of God, it was put together, and the story is one continuous story. From the, in the beginning God, to the end of the book of the Revelation, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And all of it fits together. For those of you that were not here last week, I told the folks that we started the Easter sermon last week. We're in the middle of it today. And we'll complete it next week. Now, if you were not here last week, you've got to help me to the folks that come next week that haven't been here either week to bring them up to date uh, on the message. Because there's such a beautiful story to be told. There is some incredible truths to be learned. And I want you to pick up with me today from Isaiah chapter 53. I want to talk about the triumphant Crucifixion, Golgotha. Last week we talked about the night before, Gethsemane, when the agony of the cross fell upon our Lord Jesus. And he, for the first time, had somewhat of an emotional discussion while the three disciples slept. He and the Father got on the same page. Because the Father's will was that he be crucified. The Son's will was, I don't want to be crucified. And those agonizing moments, the Bible says, sweat like drops of blood flowed from Jesus. But he won the victory over Golgotha the night before at Gethsemane. And when we take the story on today, I want you to pick up on the middle part of the story. As we move to the crucifixion. Would you stand and let me read from Isaiah chapter 53 and we welcome you again on the internet wherever you may be in the world. Listen carefully as God speaks to our hearts. Isaiah writes long before the event about the suffering servant. Listen to what he says. Think about what we know now as compared to what the folks knew when Isaiah wrote this. They didn't understand. We don't understand totally, but we certainly understand more than they do. Listen to what he said, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. And he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire of him. He is despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. 
Surely he hath borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought us a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Listen to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Verse 33, and they were come to the place which is called Calvary, which they crucified him. The male factors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted their raiments, and they cast lots. Would you look also at verse 39 and following. One of the male factors which were, ra- which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you be seated? I want to invite you this morning to go to the two most, one of the two most traumatic events that ever took place in history. I want you to go with me as I take you to a place called Calvary, Golgotha's Hill, the place of a skull. One of the two events that will impact the world like no other events will take place on this hill. Again, we visited Gethsemane. When Jesus dealt with his struggle to go to the cross and submitted to the will of the Father and allowed his will to once again be in with the will of the Father that the plan be carried out that was proposed by our Lord even before the foundation of the world. Now to put things in perspective... There was a reason 
that Jesus did not want to submit to the will of the Father. There was a reason that he wanted to cancel that crucifixion because it was a very, very agonizing, very agonizing situation. But though he struggled, there was a greater reason why he submitted. That reason had to do with all the generations that would follow. That what decision was made and what was done on Calvary would affect all of mankind. And when Jesus came to that moment and the Father refused to give in, he refused to give in to the will of the Son because it would affect every single person on the planet. There was no negotiation. And Jesus, knowing that but struggling because of all these events that had taken place, submitted. What was the problem? The problem was sin. The problem was that all have sin and will sin, except the righteous one. But I want you to notice something here that you may want to underline in your Bible. I don't write a lot in the Bible that I preach out of, but I've written in a lot of others. And thoughts will come and you just write them down. It seems like the right time when you're going back, you pick them up and you notice. But I want you to notice, if we could go back to Isaiah for just a minute, I want you to notice the verbiage of Isaiah 53. And I want you to come and get on board for a moment and see where you fit in to Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 4, he was born or he has borne our grief. Circle that, our grief. He has carried our sorrows. Go to verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. The sixth verse, God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, for the transgressions of God's people was he stricken. Verse 11, my righteous servant shall justify many. He shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, he bore the sins of many. He made intercession for the transgressors. What's the point? Why the crucifixion? Was it for just Jesus? No, it was for us. And all the way back to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the event, it was laid out clearly. What happens on Calvary is for us in order that we can have a way to know God personally and intimately and eternally. On that night in Gethsemane, we won. We won. When the, when the, the son said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. We were about to go over a spiritual cliff without God and without hope. 
It appeared as though from the very moment that Adam and Eve sinned and all that followed them sinned and all of us have sinned, it seemed as though if that did not happen, it would be an eternal disaster. But it did happen. It did happen. We have a mediator to the Father, and his name is Jesus. The crucifixion of Jesus did not make us eligible for a lottery. The crucifixion of Jesus made it possible for whosoever will to be, sin, to be saved. Because all of us had sinned. We didn't get into a, a pool of hoping to. Maybe I'm going to try. I hope he draws my name. No. No. The blood cleanses from all sin including mine and including yours. And the debt has been paid. There were three men hanging on those crosses that day. Two were thieves. One was the only begotten son of God. As you look very closely, you will see that Jesus had set an example of how to live. Now he's going to set an example of how to die. The two thieves had made an atrocity out of the way they lived. One of them was going to have a moment of a new birth and a change. One was not. Jesus set an example to us as to how we're to handle our crucifixions. Now he's, his crucifixion was the blood. Many martyrs have been murdered and executed because of their faith. But our crucifixion is a spiritual one. His blood pays for our sin. Even the martyrs that die and shed their blood, it's not their blood that justifies them, but it was the blood of Jesus that justifies them. All of us are justified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the point. We're looking forward to Resurrection Sunday. We're looking forward to a resurrection one day, but none of us will have a resurrection without a crucifixion. The first one has already taken place. Jesus has paid the price. Now, the second crucifixion must come when we die to our old life of sin and confess it and repent of it and turn and follow the Lord. And that's called a new birth. And when we do that, that's when salvation comes. Not when we just get involved with a Christian group and decide we're going to change the way we live. That's not it. It is when we, by faith, trust the crucifixion of the Son of God. Who, who died after living a perfect life, tempted at all points, but without sin. But by trusting him, we are born again. And according to scripture, no one will ever have a resurrection if you don't have a crucifixion. You have got to die to self. You have got to quit thinking that you are somehow equipped with a mind or an emotion or a position in life or a physical body or mental capabilities or influential responsibilities 
or just a good nature most of the time, that you will somehow enter the kingdom of God. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And your blood is not accepted. Thank God for the soldiers that shed their blood that we could have freedom as a nation in America while we live. But that's not the same as the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary. It carries us into all of eternity. And we must understand that. If we do not understand that, and I will have you to know, if you do not know that, there have been Bibles that have been written with the intent of taking the blood out of the pages of Scripture so it would not offend our little children. There are parents that get upset because their children hear about the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for their sin. They can handle the blood of this world. They see it every day, but don't tell them about the blood that was shed on Calvary. Well, the believer chooses because when you love somebody, you don't give them what they want. You give them what they need. I don't like needles. Not at all. The doctor say, you want me to give you a shot? I say, no. <laughs> well, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Okay. But I just want you to know I'm going to take it, but I'm not going to like it. Okay. But when it comes to the blood of Jesus, he offers it to whosoever will. But he says, without the shedding of my blood, there's no remission for your sin. I think it's interesting when, we, when I say that every man has to have a crucifixion. I think it's very interesting that the four writers of the Synoptic Gospels, three of them quoted the same thing. In Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 34, and Luke 9, 23, if any man shall come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That was an imperative. That was an imperative. Jesus learned to accept that all things come from the hand of the Father. At Gethsemane, as we talked about last week, that was all settled. But what we've got to understand is that as God has a plan and a purpose for our being crucified with Christ, our taking our old sin nature and nailing it to the cross, that we can live forever. As you read the story of the life and the death of Jesus, you understand this. Jesus can and wants to live in your life. He wants to and he can if you let him. He will not come in uninvited. But if he's invited, he will come. Don't invite Jesus to come into your life if you don't want him to come in because he will come in if you open the heart and let him come in. Notice how he faced that crucifixion. You think about what you're going on in your, going on in your life right now. How do you face tough times? How, do you, how do, would you face death if you knew that you were going to die today? How would you face death? You can look back. He criticized no one. He gave no rebuttal. He never resorted to logic or reason in all of the Golgotha experience. He didn't defend his right. He did not give any defense for what they were doing. He challenged none of the lies that were being told about him. And he answered only with silence. As, all of, as both accusers lashed out, both thieves, they began to do as you would expect them to do. 
they began to lash out. They were guilty as charged. But Jesus spoke not a word. He suffered, he bled, he died, and he spoke not a word. What a difference. What a difference. Why do you think he was so quiet? He had been verbal at other times, and he had said things very strongly when he cast the money changers out of the temple. Why do you think he was so quiet? You say, well, I think to be an example to us, I think that's part of it, but I think there's another reason. I think there was absolutely no doubt in, in the Lord's mind that he was doing the will of the Father. Enough said. And then he didn't care what they thought or what they said. He was submitting to the will of the Father. Let me tell you something. If you ever get to that place in your life where you don't care what others think and you don't care what others say, but you're going to do what the Father wills you to do, and that is to repent and receive him. When you have that happen in your life, it's going to be the greatest day you ever had. For the first time in your life, you're going to find out what freedom really is. And you're going to see that there is a peace that passes all understanding only when you come to that moment of submitting yourself to the will of the Father. You see, crucifixion is a submission. It is a submission. The very humble way that, that, you, that you hung before people, arms outstretched, many times naked, so degrading, so humiliating. And yet, Jesus allowed it to happen. He died on the cross. He paid the price. For our sin. There's another reason though I want to show you that this is something that, that I did not know six months ago. I, I, if I did, I don't remember it. I don't know if you ever have those experiences or not. <laughs> but it helped me understand Gethsemane and it helped me understand what was going on on the day of the crucifixion. It's over in the book of Hebrews. It's in the fifth chapter. I want you to listen to this very carefully. Who in the days of, verse seven, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, listen to this, though he were a son, capital S, yet learned he, obedience by the things which he suffered Jesus was still learning some things even when he was crucified by suffering there's something that happened even to Jesus at that moment that was unique even for him it was a climactic moment of total submission and there it says he learned by, by the things that he suffered he learned at his crucifixion. Can I tell you something? If you ever go through a spiritual crucifixion, you'll learn some things that you didn't know until you went through it. First of all, you'll learn that you're not near as good as you thought you were and that everybody tried to tell you, but you didn't listen. You will learn 
what it's like to, where you won't speak a word because there's nothing you can say. You will understand that the world has really used you. You haven't been a friend of the world, and the world has not been your friend. You have simply been used by the world to do what the world wanted to do with your life through Satan and his angels rather than submit to the will of God and have a brand new life. See, Jesus learned something that only the crucifixion could teach him. And we too will learn when we go through spiritual crucifixion. Now I want you to remember that, again, there were three. Each of them reacted differently. They had different attitudes. Their circumstances were identical. The thieves and the Savior. They were, they were being executed. But they looked at their executioners differently. They, two of them talked, and the other one kept quiet. One of them kept on cursing, kept on even mocking God. If you're a God, then why don't you get us off this cross? Does that sound like a repentant thief? Of course not. He wasn't about to repent. He was not about to repent. Now, the other thief had his Gethsemane experience that we talked about last week when he was hanging on the cross. I told you last week, it's not which one comes first. But if you'll have your Gethsemane experience first, it makes the crucifixion easier. That's what I said last week. But here's the point. The thief waited till he was dying before he backed off and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Whenever you think about that moment and what happened, the change, the attitude. Go back to thief one just a moment. He was, in his opinion, a victim of his culture. It's my mother, my daddy, my kids, where I live, the city I live in, the way I'm treated. I'm one in this group and that group, and I'm one of these, and I'm, I'm a victim of my culture. That was thief number one. He never took blame for his wasted life. He never took the blame that instead of working, he would steal. He took the position that it was somebody else's fault. Everything that was going on, even God's fault. You could get us down, but you won't. What kind of God are you? That's what he was saying. He never took any responsibility for his actions to the dying breath that he took. He missed out on the opportunity to be forgiven and be healed, and it blew right past him. And he didn't catch hold of it. He was so bold that he could blame God for his crucifixion. Can you imagine? Oh, today people curse God. If you're really up there, why did you do such and such? Why did you let my baby die? Why did you let me lose my job? What kind of God are you? Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> if the government would have come in and pardoned thief number one, and said, okay, 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 you're right. Get him down. Turn him loose. I want to ask you this question. Be honest. Don't answer. This is rhetorical. You think the thief would have changed one iota? We're not going to vote on this. 
I'll tell you how I'd vote. Of course not. And neither are you. As long as you keep on blaming everything else for your sin and your situation in life, you're never going to be set free. And if you come to that moment when the Holy Spirit almost saves you and you reject the Holy Spirit, you're going to go right back to where you were before this ever started. That's what happened to thief number one. I think he'd have continued just like he was before. And he would still spend eternity away from God. It might have been a little bit later, but he would still spend eternity. Thief number two, he started out just like thief number one. Both of them had the same charge. Theft. And he looked at the Son of God, and he had a Gethsemane experience. He said, I've listened to people long enough, including that nut that's on the other side of you. <laughs> and so many words he said, shut your mouth. You're getting exactly what you deserve. And I am tired. We've been in the same cell together. We planned our break. It didn't work. We're being crucified. But I'm giving my life to God. And I'm going to be crucified with Christ. Then I can live. And yet not I, but Christ is going to live in me. And the life I'm going to live in the flesh, I'm going to live by the power of the Son of God. Get on with it. I am ready. I am ready. The time of my departure is at hand. He could have been like the Apostle Paul. And in a way he was. He just didn't have any time left to write anything for the Bible. He just had kind of a one-word blog. He just sort of text a message. Kind of kept it brief. Father, remember me. And the Father said, today you will be with me in paradise. You know what that word paradise means? Look it up. It's a garden. Well, where'd all this stuff start? Any of y'all remember Genesis 1-1? Do you remember? There's a garden, wasn't it? What kind of garden? Beautiful garden. Who created the garden? God created the garden. Was there sin there? No. No snakes. Yet. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. What you're fixing to go to, I created it for my glory and for your good. And you will be with me in paradise. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Was he baptized? No. Was he saved? You betcha. Would he have been baptized if he could have got off that cross? You bet he would. No question about it. He'd have scheduled his baptism that moment. He said, where's the water? You say, well, he didn't go to heaven. He didn't get baptized. He went to paradise. Excuse me, today thou shalt be with me. I'll put that down as heaven. You can define that any way you want to. You go wherever you want to. I'm going where Jesus is. And if it's called paradise instead of heaven, I'm going to paradise, okay? Because I think they're the same. Today, you, thief, unbaptized, will be with me in paradise. Well, he took action. He repented. He took responsibility for his action. And with childlike faith, he said, remember me. And I want you to notice a final thought here. I want you to notice verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me. He didn't say, Jesus, 
when you get up there, throw my name in the hat. No. You sit here and say, well, I made Jesus my Savior years ago. I still hadn't made him Lord of my life, but I plan to before I die. My friend, if he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. Lord, highest tribute, Jesus is Lord. Remember me. When you come into your kingdom, I go to prepare the place, and I will come again and receive you unto myself. He shut his mouth. And he moved from a fanatic rebeller to childlike faith. And he invited God to take his life. Remember me. And his death brought him life. And his regeneration brought him a transformation. And now we're getting into next week. It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. He was transformed. He was changed. He was born again. But as Christ will be risen, so will the believers one day when the Lord returns. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Why? Because we've gone through a crucifixion. We've died to self so that we can live. For God, the crucified become the resurrected. Jesus was crucified on Friday, but Sunday he rose from the grave. You can be crucified today. You can be crucified today. Your resurrection is not today unless Jesus comes. But you can be crucified today. And by being crucified today, you don't get in the lottery again. I guarantee you. When the trumpets sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then those that are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But we've got to wait till next week to get on that point. Have you been to Gethsemane? Have you submitted to the will of the Father? If so, you've been crucified or you will be today. You will go to the Connection Center. This is what I want to instruct you to do, encourage you and love to do. Don't you run out here and get in this sin-sick world and <clears throat> drive out of a car wash spotless and you'll, you'll have mud all over you by dark tonight if you run out there into that world. But if you'll go back to that connection center, there are people there that'll show you real quick how you can be born again, just like that thief. Your choice, your choice. I pray you'll make the right one. Our Heavenly Father, I pray now as people think, and the devil will come, already has, at a more convenient time. I'm not on a cross, I'm not dying. My execution is not today, but yet we do not know. But I do know this, Lord, that your arms are wide open to a repentant sinner. I know that as you listened to the thief, you didn't go back and rehash his life. You said to him, in response to his very earnest childlike question, remember me, you gave him a simple answer today, 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 you're going to experience a new life that'll last for all of eternity. Thank you for doing that, Lord, in a way that we could all understand it. And now I pray for the powers of darkness to be broken, the chains to be broken that will keep people from saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, Lord. 
remember me. And with reverence and awe, they will humble themselves and invite you into their life. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Connection Center is located off the main lobby. You go out into that lobby, look back this way, and you'll see the Connection Center behind the Divine Servant. If you're a first-time guest, listen to me. If you're a first-time guest, I'm going to go over to the hospitality room. That's right across from the library. I want to meet you and give you some things and say hello to you. If you know you're a believer and you don't need to go to the Connection Center and you're visiting our church today or you're not ready to make a commitment to the Lord or maybe you are very faithful in another church, be from out of town or in this city and you just come by and let me say hello, I want you to come. It's right over in this area. Go out to the foyer. Look, there'll be people there to guide you into the room and we have some wonderful gifts to give you and I do want to speak to you, okay? Let's all stand together as Brother Bill leads us in our song. And uh, we will be dismissed when the song is over at his direction. Let's sing. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.